Yeah. So in the last one, we talked about stress and this is probably a good sequelae anyways to, uh, to stress. So building resilience in a changing world. So he doesn't know that word. You see how confused he got? Big word right there. (laughs) (laughs) I just saw the, he's like, the what? what? Resilience (laughs) or sequelae? Sequelae. That's it. It's Latin, Jay. I think that's that ape-like animal that lives out in the wild out here in BC somewhere. No, that's Sasquatch. Sasquatch. (laughs) If you're interested in dissolving the origins of disease, finding solutions to your health problems, and living a full, meaningful, joyful life, then make sure you tune in for your weekly vitality check. Each week, the team from Vitality Multitherapy unpacks illness and explores what it truly means to be healthy. Join us as we usher in a new paradigm in healing and take a multi-perspective approach to the myriad of challenges that we face in our modern world. Together, we will go well outside the limited box of conventional medicine and find answers and solutions that put you back in the driver's seat of your own health and your life. Buckle up, join us on this journey, and let's make sure to have a little fun along the way. All right, I think we're on. We're on. Yeah. So. Hey guys, welcome back. What okay. what are we talking about today? I have no idea. Yeah, we're talking. I'm today. so unprepared. Yeah. <laughs> I think some something about resiliency. I think building it, the That's building right. of resiliency. Yeah. The building of resiliency. Yes, building resilience in a changing world. So mm-hmm. ever changing. Great. Yeah. Great. So in the last one, we talked about stress, and this is probably a good sequelae anyways to uh to stress so building resilience in a changing world so he doesn't know that word you see how confused he got big word right there (laughs) (laughs) i just saw the he's like the what what resilience or sequelae sequelae that's it it's latin j i think that's that ape-like animal that lives out in the wild out here in bc somewhere yeah no that's sasquatch sasquatch (laughs) close sorry close so yes building resilience in a changing world so i did an episode on this like gosh probably a couple of years back i talked about this because this was sort of something that came up a lot i think over the last few years around um just something happened yeah, nothing big, but um, I think totally brought awareness to the fact that if people are unwell, they're more susceptible to having illness, which doesn't seem like it's really that um, revolutionary, but it did definitely brought up a lot of conversation around it because yeah. you would see that the people that were most susceptible to getting sick were when we look at chronic illness like heart disease and diabetes and glaucoma and obesity and all of that sort of stuff, right? So if people aren't aware of that, that's a pretty big deal. Um, I mean, some numbers around that, you look at like North America, about 40% of Americans have one, um, some kind of chronic health disease like diabetes, cancer, heart disease, glaucoma, and half of that has two or more. So I mean, pretty prevalent, pretty prevalent. And if those things can be mitigated, that's a big part of building resilience, I think, from, from the, right, right from the get-go. So, I think the other thing to talk about here is metabolic health. So, another stats I was looking at where eighty-eight percent of the population is not metabolically healthy. (laughs) About twelve percent are actually metabolically healthy. So that means like twelve percent of the population in North America has healthy functioning mitochondria where we can actually make enough ATP to basically live, move, walk, breathe, digest um, in this world, as well as all of the things that go beyond that with like repair, waste metabolism, tissue repair, immune system support, all of those types of things. So, I mean, it's a pretty big deal. When we build resilience, we're going to build our overall health and be able to manage illness much more effectively. What do you guys see on a regular basis when it comes to the idea of resilience? But, well, I think one of the things seen clinically is uh, most people coming in, like you said, statistically before, you know, like I I would say the majority of people are at a point where uh, they don't have much of a buffer. So they're, they're, they're overworked, they're tired, they're, they don't take care of themselves, they don't do the basic things to create that buffer that they would need to be able to take on more things, uh, 
that could arise like illness and things like that but um so it's shocking that uh we've reached a point where there's just so so much of society is uh is geared towards uh, still like pushing past these limits and and i think people though are starting to realize that this is not reason not reasonable they're, they're quite often i find people aren't either maybe capable of putting it into words but they just they they're noticing all these symptoms that their body is telling them that you know they've gone way past the barrier of where they they can recover well so that's why they're coming in with all these symptoms so noticing too that uh i always like to say that the the symptom coming out is the last thing to come out and there was a whole series of things that happened before so how do we create that awareness to recognize that and make sure that we can have a little bit more room to take on more uh, more stress i guess exactly <laughs> yeah i think the same thing i think more you know more in the last few years is like people come in more overwhelmed right i, I would <laughs> say that it used to be that i'd say I don't know, 60% of people would walk into my office and say, I did this and I started having pain and then the pain didn't go away versus now I'd say maybe 30% of people walk in saying that most people now walk in with things that are just, they're, they're not feeling well. They don't know why it happened. There was no mechanism of injuries we say, but they are struggling to, to feel well. Right. And they, and it's, you can start, you know, as we dive into it and we get more into their whole, like we have like a lifestyle audit at our clinic where they, we talk about sleep and nutrition and exercise and, and all components of health, not just like the orthopedic exam, if you will, they, you know, our job and what we try to help correlate and correspond to them is how much all of these things play a role together, obviously, and how much their body has been telling them for a long time, but they just weren't really aware of the science. But on that flip side, I also will say that a lot of people as well are are kind of tired of like they've hit the point where they they unfortunately they have to hit that spot where they don't feel well to make that change but they but they know or they've heard or have read that really they know it can, it can come from within they just don't know how to get there and they don't want to go down the conventional routes that they used to do because a they can't get in anyway and b they don't like the outcomes of what's happening so there there is a kind of a a tipping point, I'll call it, where they're, they are aware there's something wrong. They know it's something that's part of their lifestyle. They're, they can't quite put a finger on it, but they're ready to make that change. They just need the guidance to get there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, how many times do you see someone come in and they're like, I don't know, I was doing perfect, nothing was wrong, and then my back totally went out. Or, and then all of a sudden I got this really bad um, cold or blank, 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 whatever it might be. Or Worst case scenarios, I actually find like then all of a sudden, you know, I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's or I ended up with MS or something along these lines. In a lot of ways, I think a lot of those things can actually be prevented if you build up more resilience. A lot of times it's it's like the, you know, like that last straw that broke the camel's back. It's like you don't realize because you're not really being aware of all of the different things like Kevin said are building up that your body's kind of telling you before you actually hit that point where you end up with a problem. I'm going to share a picture here that I think gives an idea of kind of what we're talking about. So when I'm thinking about um, resilience, let's kind of look at this one. So we've been talking about buffers. So the idea is like, you know, here in the middle, you're optimally healthy, right? And what you really want is you want a good buffer period where it's like, you know, you can eat some of those extra things. You can handle a little bit more stress. You can handle a few more late nights when you need to, or a little bit more stress at work or family or whatever it's going to be. It's not going to totally throw you over into this major symptoms of excess or deficient. So to me, when we're building resilience, it's like we've got a good optimal zone and then we've got a lot of buffer that we can handle the world with before it throws us into a big problem. Unfortunately, most of the world, most people look like this. You know, they've got a lot of problems in excess, a lot of deficiency problems, and they've got very little zone to manage life with. And this is when you can tell, it's like, even if you're doing okay, and then all of a sudden you have, you know, one late night and you end up sick and things you know, go, go down, or you find that you've got no tolerance mental, emotionally for anything, you feel overwhelmed all the time, or you get, you know, fits of like strong rage or anger or something like that, that comes up when you usually see that with like um, your family, you know, or say if you blow up at your kids lots or something along those lines, 
it's giving it's showing us where our 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 zones are um for resilience and this one here kevin you talked about all of the symptoms that sort of show up that the body's talking about that we're yeah. not paying attention to so i often use this as an example from from a conventional medicine perspective and this is just the way it works it's like even when they're looking at lab tests most conventional medicine assumes you're healthy until you're sick they're not really looking at the in-between and even labs it's like you've got a big reference range and it's like until you're like over here or you're under here now it's a problem that needs to be dealt with i think about this with like say iron you know you check something like ferritin which the range depending on the lab could be anywhere from like 15 to 300 is normal but you know optimally usually when you're not iron deficient is when you're like at about 70 you know so sometimes people are at 12 and just because they're not at 10 they're still okay even though they're right at the bottom of the barrel these would be the kind of things where then you got to start to pay attention to this functional zone this is the symptoms that kevin was talking about so you might not be optimally healthy anymore and now you're in this yellow functional zone where this is when your body's starting to tell you things this is when it's like okay am i waking up tired all the time am i um, feeling overwhelmed a lot and i've got that butterflies in my stomach is do i have like chronic joint pains am i waking up in the morning and i'm feeling like i can't take my ring off because my my joints feel sort of swollen um, is my weight gradually going up more and more these are all to me those functional zones that if we pay attention to that's where we can get in and mitigate it get you back into healthy before you ever end up in this red six zone does that kind of fall in line with how you guys think about it too yeah, it's like the the things that, like Jay said before, you know, the, the, a lot of the symptoms that people think are maybe normal or that are chalked up to what I'm getting older, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> all it's these busy just old age. Life. Yeah, it's just old age. That's the best one. Yeah. Well, I was talking to um, I was talking to Dr. Todd Ovocatus. He's uh, on a guest on our show on the Inspire Health podcast and he's brilliant and he's he's a big anti-aging guy and he's actually saying now if you are following certain key things you can literally suspend aging for a long time. Um and he, he was just given some some big award through Harvard for for some of the work he was doing. So I mean there's things that you can do and, I, and you can even measure different markers. I've seen people where I feel like they've actually gotten younger by like 10 years just by doing the right things because metabolically they've improved so much from where they were um so just age alone is not a it's not the case it's usually age because you're just doing the same wrong things and not correcting them so it's just those are building up more and more and more causing more and more damage yeah, yeah okay. i guess it's, that's part that's part of like well, obviously what we're trying to do, right, is just to make people aware of that, that these things aren't normal and that there are things we can do to correct them, you know. So uh, I think quite often people, they get, you know, and that's part of what we'll probably get into in terms of defining resilience and some of the things that stop us from that uh, is that identification to some of these things as being normal and that, oh, I'm just like that because uh, X, Y, Z, you know, instead of Oh, well, if I make these few little changes and sometimes they're so basic, but, um, they can make a world of difference in how you're feeling, you know? So. Yeah. And the consistency of it, it's like knowing which yeah. changes to make and then starting to implement them in your life consistently. That's what really makes the biggest difference. Yeah. Okay. So where I usually start with this is because I often think, you know, like you were saying, we, we tend to think whatever's familiar is normal. And just because it's familiar does not mean that it's normal. Most of the time, what is familiar is absolutely not, or it's maybe normal for you, but it's not optimal. So what we want to do first is take a look at things and then even be able to start to pay attention to them and see where they are. So it's like taking a, you know, a realistic personal inventory. So here's probably a good first one that we look at. I know from my perspective, I always want people to take a look at, um, determinants of health so is this which one's up here is this the determinants of health or is no, this, this is your this is your food journal diet diary okay here we go so we'll start with the diet diary because food plays such a big role with people and most people end up eating the same sorts of things all the time and then 
often foods play a role in how they're feeling, even though they're not totally aware of it anymore. What a lot of times people don't realize is if you're sensitive to something and you eat it, it might cause a bit of an inflammatory reaction that might spike within the first, you know, even 30, 30 minutes or so, but it could linger for up to several days. And then if you're eating it again and again every day, next thing you know, you're kind of always above your threshold of inflammation. And then that becomes your normal resting state is just constantly being kind of irritated. So I would get people to track whatever they're eating throughout the day. They don't have to have them like this, you know, breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, but wherever you're eating, track what you're doing. And at the end of every day, do a personal inventory. What was your mood like? What was your energy level like? Did you have any specific symptoms that were complaining? So whether that's headaches or joint pains or um, stomach problems or whatever it might be, and then track bowel movements. Bowel movements tell you a lot. We um, <laughs> did an interview once with a guy, and what was the name of his book? But it was, it was all about shit. Like literally, that was that was the name of his book. Jason Jesus. Give me my thesis. That's what we did our thesis in. Yeah, we did, Jay and I did our thesis in constipation. So we were deep in it for about two years. Yes. Um, <clears throat> but just tracking your bowel movements tells you a ton of information. So what's the consistency like and what's the regularity, right? Get used to seeing if there's a change and then you can correlate it back to your diet. It's a great, great starting place because it, I mean, it's, um, again, this is like such a big deal for everybody. If you can track that and fine tune it, it gives you information. And the first part of that is really just trying to get some information. The other one that we use is determinants of health. Is that one up right now? The uh, tracking? tracking my daily progress. Yeah. yeah, determinants of health, yeah. So sometimes I think um, as far as what are important things to track, these are classic ones that I would tend to look at. So checking your temperature in the morning. A lot of people are subclinically hypothyroid. They got low thyroid function. So tracking your temperature on a regular basis. Now there's specific ways you can do this, but just taking a general ear or oral temperature will still give you some sort of um, um, baseline as far as where you are, you know, and you want to be kind of up there close to around 37. Most people I find are well too low on that, like low 36s um, from a Canadian standpoint, like 36.4 or 36.5, often too low. Celsius, I would just rate your energy on a scale of one to 10. How do you rate your energy? One being really bottomed out, 10 being really good. Again, number of bowel movements per day. How many minutes of movement or exercise do you do? What's your mood like on a scale of one to 10? What's your level of digestion like on a scale of one to 10? Rate your stress on a level of one to 10. And sleep, I do quality of sleep and hours of sleep. Get used to kind of measuring that stuff. And then we often check a first morning pH too, like a urine pH. So you can get a litmus strip from the pharmacy and check to see just knowing how alkaline you are. You know, you want to fall somewhere between about six and a half to seven and a half fairly regularly gives you an idea of your alkalinity. So those are like really simple markers. But if you just check that every day for a while, and then all of a sudden you're like, huh, my, uh, my mood seems to be hovering around a three like every day, or my stress levels are up at like an eight almost every day. There's some work to do, right? What, what do you guys do with patients when, as far as sort of tracking some of these types of things? Well, I've definitely used the, the temperature chart um, for a thyroid for sure. Uh, we, cause we, we did a bit of that when we studied applied kinesiology a little bit. So in certain cases, especially when people are saying, I can't see my doctor till, uh, X, Y, Z, I said, well, then let's start tracking this for the next month. At least you'll have data to give them anyways. Um, uh, but definitely a lot of those categories about mood and how they're feeling and what their stress levels are like, these are all gauges we use, like even some of the metagenics, uh, uh, tests for, for stress levels and stuff to help with adrenal, uh, fatigue and things like that. Um, but I guess in, in general, it's mostly that it, for me, anyways, it's just to get a, a gauge, a little bit of like where they're at, get a, almost a picture of uh, what the overall thing, their mechanism is, is in right now. So that, you know, we can kind of see where the weak points are and make them make adjustments. Otherwise, like you said, if we don't take inventory of things, it always boils down to that. We need to be more aware of what's going on with us to be able to recognize, okay, well, what I thought was normal is not. So how do I change that? 
So unless they start getting good at noticing it and how frequent that is and what brings it on and all these different types of things, then it's a lot more difficult to change it when you have no idea what's why or what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. So yeah. shout out to Sean Landry. Yeah. I think that's the big thing too. It, it's funny, you know, back when we even started implementing our, our, um, there's a lot of the sounds, eh? yeah. uh, our I lifestyle apologize. audit. And people say, well, I don't know if I should do this. I don't think it applies to me. I'm here for my back or I'm here for my shoulder. I'm like, oh yeah, it, it applies, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I think the big thing I look at is particularly with, like I mentioned my, when you guys let me speak before, um, how many people come in? <laughs> like more like overwhelmed it's the last time. So I, I think yeah. the big thing Make I, it good. I, I try yeah. to stress to people is a, just carving out some time during the day to actually reflect on how they actually feel. Right. So, so many people come in and just are running from morning to night, seven days a week with zero time for themselves. So I tell them, you know, you need to look and we talk about sleep and eating stuff and just to jot down basic things. It's, it's usually that sleep, um, how they're feeling, just generalities, maybe not as specific in your zones for, for sure, but at least a, a baseline for that. And um, I talk to them often, I use a concept called the triangle of health. And I, I, I explain to them how we have like a, a bioma biomechanical side to the triangle, a nutritional side, a mental, emotional side. And I just talk to them about like whatever they're coming in with, how let's say they're coming in with physical pain. I'll explain to them how that side of the, the triangle is not doing well. Certainly we'll address that. But then I'll kind of re-emphasize how important it is to not let the other sides collapse. So if physically you're not doing well, quite often people will snowball, right? They'll not feel good physically. So then they stop caring about what they put in their mouth and they stop, they just, they just, they kind of shut down and they, and I really try to encourage them not to do so that in fact, you should be doing the opposite of that, right? You should be, you know, double downing on that stuff, making sure you're not doing that to help support things. So it'll bounce back that much faster and prevent more of that you know, getting into a deficient or an excess state because you're 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 helping as much as you can. So those are the kind of strategies I, I mostly try here. Nice. Um, and I think you said uh, what you don't know, you don't know, and mm -hmm. that's a that's like a real functional medicine thing. Not that you have to test all the time, but a lot of times they would say um, when you test, you don't guess. And for some stuff, it is important. So when I think about stuff from so when we talk about resilience, we're really looking at all the different layers of resilience, like we've talked about before, around physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, all of those things um, impact. These are some of the things I think about when we're looking at what's what's causing this buildup, right? So early on, we were talking about um, some of this chronic disease that people are dealing with. So cancer, high blood pressure, obesity, diabetes, immune compromise, chronic respiratory disease. These are pretty commonplace. These are, these are the big ones that most people are dealing with. And this is why most people are on a certain number of medications after a certain point. But what's infer interesting, this is like the tip of the iceberg. Those are what you see, and then you're usually on medications for. But what you want to try and get at is this big massive chunk underneath the water the bottom of the iceberg as far as what are some of the things that have been there that have been building that up and this is where we look at some of the stuff like chronic stress hormonal imbalances are there underlying infections that can be in things like the gut or the teeth some of these things are big ones um, what's your diet like high sugar unprocessed foods um, toxic chemical exposure unsupported belief patterns undigested emotions lack of sleep um, excess EMF, food sensitivities, nutritional deficiencies, all of those types of things are often what I've, I find a lot of times are underlying these other bigger problems that people come in with with sort of a diagnosis. And if we can find out some of that stuff, and a lot of this stuff you can assess very accurately using functional medicine tests um, through saliva, urine, blood samples, all of that kind of stuff that are easy to do. But when we can approach things down here, that's what gives you so much resilience. So you, now you're not in this red six zone that's filled with inflammation and free radical load and all that type of stuff too. So from a physical perspective, those are a lot of the things I look at. What do you guys see um, from a physical perspective from sort of like a structure function kind of aspect and stuff too? Well, like how does I, like posture affect things and chronic things along those lines actually impact the body that starts to slowly over time cause more and more um, problems with resilience? Well, from a purely structural, well, for sure, obviously the, the stress on the system from being off, uh, creating like 
different forces in the body having impacts on vascular flow to uh, neurological balancing to all these fluctuations of uh, different fluidic things in the body all these things that keep the homeostasis of everything going in the body are so important I have a hard time just uh, separating physical and 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 yeah. mental side of things but um you know for sure uh, all all the phys- physicality part of postural stresses will have a major impact depending on where they are in the body to specific systems um and vice versa certain stressors in the systems have different impacts on how the structural body will adapt and uh um compensate to allow the the person to keep going so it's like when i see that image that you just showed of the iceberg like that's to me that's always like what's under the water is is basically a a mirror image of like what what is that person not dealing with that is creating all this distress and accumulation of uh, unresolved energy in the body that isn't uh helping them get back to balance Mm-hmm. So the, the more we can bring up that uh, and get them to be conscious of that, then there's always this parallel between that and how their physical body is going to react. That's why you'll have certain instances where the physical part will always come back. Mm-hmm. It just never resolves itself. It's just a continuous adaptation. Then, you know, there's something that's uh, um, beyond the physical, beyond the physical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, I, I liked a lot of the work by Dr. Jerry Tennant. I think you guys are familiar with that too. And he kind of mapped out the body and it's it's basically looking at how the different fascial chains can be very much connected to the different acupuncture meridians in the body. And how he was looking at it as basically that fascial chain acts like a piezoelectric battery. So it's like every time you are moving and contracting, you're creating energy in the body. And so when you have postural imbalances that affects those fascial chains i think it affects the energy flow through the body and you know even in osteopathy like scars are a really high priority to treat if people have scars so whether you've got a you know had your appendix out or had a c section or um gosh or just like a big you know scrape or something like that those can create a lot of big issues in the body over time so as soon as um we've got scars, I find like that's going to shut down things and creates like a new fulcrum for the body to start to move around. So those are all big things that if that people a lot of times, I just don't think they're aware of like they're, you know, I mean, it was, a, it was a big one, even going through school when you realize how important scars are. And, you know, from yeah. Dr. Tenney says it literally shorts out the meridian. So it's actually shorts it out where it becomes like a high priority to correct. And there are so many now, when you think of like how many, women do you treat that have c-section scars yeah absolutely so massive so common or or gallbladder surgeries now that are small scars it looks like but that but when you feel it you feel a whole mess of stuff way underneath the skin even though you've only got like three dots now for the most part um you know just because it's a small surgery on the outside doesn't mean that there wasn't a lot of stuff that needs to be corrected on the inside absolutely i'd say that people when they come in like you have that iceberg and all this stuff underneath like not to totally generalize it, but that's the people that come in and they, to me, it's like, for sure, we talked about this last time with the ANS, right? It's for sure that their cranial sacral system is just hard, dry, nothing's kind of moving, right? And they're, they're, pain's moving all over the place. They're trying to compensate in other parts of their body, but it's, it's just not working. So that's why I, I typically find as soon as you get onto someone, you can feel like you just know there's like an acute, especially when there's no onset, there's no mechanism of injury. You can just feel like that like layers and layers and layers of just buildup that's just not moving. So you get stagnation and what Kevin, Kevin kind of mentioned, right? You get stagnation and a lack of flow and they tend to be like, so they're hormonal and fluid imbalances. Like there's just nothing's, nothing's working. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I usually would find in that kind of individual coming in. And then we, you know, obviously try to talk about other ways to overcome that, to build the resilience up through, you know, looking at their diet, eating better, exercise just a little bit. There was that lot, there's something went viral a few years ago, right? Some medical doctor did a, a YouTube thing where he talked about, you know, this magic cure for all these different metabolic issues or high blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. And he had all these stats out, like, you know, decreases blood pressure by 80 or 83%. And it does all these different stats. And the magic formula was, you know, walking 30 minutes a day. And uh, <laughs> I share that off with my clients, just how much it's important that, you know, whoever built us, built us, you know, 
you know, on purpose, right? We have all these vertical tubes with these kind of horizontal diaphragms that help us pump and, 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 and distribute the forces and pressures and fluids. And, but if we don't walk and do that kind of stuff or move, then things get stagnant and we, and we, we get dis-ease, if you will. So mm-hmm. you know, little things like that play a big role for their, for ultimately for their recovery. Walking such a underrated one. I, I really think like walking such an awesome exercise. I, I just saw a study a while ago too, where they were talking about testosterone related to how many steps you're taking. And I think it was showing significant increases proportionally as soon as you got to 7,000 steps and then everything above that dramatically was like increasing your testosterone level. So no taking pills, medicines, anything like that, just increasing your steps. I mean, it was, it was pretty, pretty wild, but again, it's just, sometimes they're, they're not big things, just getting in regularly, right? Mm. Well, and we might think they're not big things. They're not that big of a deal just based on the lifestyles we're living, but I know people in here, they'll come and say, oh my gosh, I had a big weekend. I did 4,000 steps on Saturday. Like what we can see is something that's we do right. every day and not just us, but you know what I'm saying? Like for some people, they don't know. They don't, they don't know the importance of that. And you can see that sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Anything else, um, physical side of things? I think that covers up a lot of that. Why don't we move to the emotional body? So Kev, you've done a lot of stuff with uh, new German medicine and that sort of aspect. What do you find kind of, how does that play into emotional, um, resilience? Uh, well, well, one, it, from our standpoint, as a, ther- as a therapist, it, it helps with identifying to what the thematic is around the dysfunction. So it gives you an idea. So number one, it's just to help the patient, uh, the way I view it, it's like you're you're helping the patient understand the language of the body. So mm-hmm. you're you're what they're having an issue with, whether it's, uh, for example, a tra- any trauma they've been through. So obviously, this when we say trauma, this has to be significant to that person. You know, what could be a trauma for one is maybe not for someone else, and it's how they're they've perceived that trauma, which will dictate uh, what um, area in the body this will house itself in. So it's all about how the trauma is uh, introduced to the body, where there's the, the the sympathetic reaction, the acute acute phase of of the trauma, uh, and then as the um, the that phase comes to an end, then there's the potential for the reestablishing of uh, balance in the body. So the two phases of recovery that follow the 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 ceasing of that trauma being uh, being that important to them. So what tends to happen with people is that they'll fall in the first phase of repair. And then what happens is something else triggers a similar uh, perception to that person. And then they'll fall right back into the acute phase. So that that's what you'll have these people that keep cycling in all these chronic dysfunctions is just because they haven't identified what one, the original trauma is two what their triggers are. So then they just keep looping in that same, um, that same problem. So uh, I found it to be very uh, beneficial in in helping uh, with identifying with people uh, a little bit more specifically where this could have started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the fun part is just trying to navigate through that and see like who, who, you know, who can handle uh, going there and, and talking about these things. But I have to admit, like, I, w- I would say that the majority of patients are full on they're the ones saying it to me before I even ask. So right away, it's it's amazing how instinctive and intuitive the body is, and and the, and how we as human beings uh, will go to uh, exactly the the problem zone. If especially when we start working on them, so I'm sure you guys have experienced that. You start working on someone in a particular area, and they start discussing this particular thing that's been bothering them, which is no coincidence that you know the body's expressing what's being housed in the cells so i I just find it fascinating so that that to me is why i find that so important is that it really helps in that translation of what the body language is uh and potentially helping them liberate themselves from something that um has been um under the surface of the water for for a tremendous for a long period of time 
Yeah, absolutely. I, it's it's really it's really fascinating. And it is fascinating when you start to work with an area of the body, and then I, I know it 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 it's like it constantly is amazing on how much the body is really there to try to support, constantly support this transition. I think when you're in the right space where they, and I think when the when the person is in a space where it, that's conducive for healing to take place, and then you're on a specific area, like an organ system or an area of the body that's housing um, a certain um, either trauma or some sort of um, conflict that hasn't been resolved just working on that area almost starts the unraveling process of it for the person it, it really is pretty cool and like i remember just to give an example i remember working with a lady who came with frozen shoulder and um as i'm as i'm kind of looking at it and working with it it's it's all kind of tied in with this this lung meridian right and this sort of fascial chain that ties in with the lung meridian and then and then she starts to talk about what's been going on over the last while. And, and as we're talking, then it's found out like around, you know, as she, and this wasn't something she was acutely aware of before, but during the conversation, as I'm kind of working with the shoulder, she starts to talk about the loss that she had of one of her best friends, a big argument that took place and then a huge loss and a huge amount of grief and sadness that she's been processing. And I'm like, when did that take place? And literally took place about a week before the frozen shoulder had started about six months prior or something along those lines. And um, lung meridian houses grief, sadness, that's sort of what houses in there. So, I mean, it really is amazing. And then you usually see some dramatic changes fairly quickly in the body when that channel actually starts to get circulating again. So yeah. it's like we, and, with then, new... and then the shoulder, depending on laterality, obviously right or left. Yeah. Hers was on her left side or left. So yeah. and it's what, it, what am I as a parent, as a friend uh, who, you know, like it's how they see themselves, you know? Yeah. So if, it, it's, if it's bit... so cool. Yeah. It's so amazing. Yeah. And it, I find like, it's so therapeutic mm. for people to even hear how that stuff interrelates because it, they know it, it, it resonates at a level of truth with them. I think when they hear it, especially when they're at that place where they're ready to kind of work with it. So, so awesome. Yeah. So the emotional stuff, um, unresolved conflicts, uh, and <laughs> before we were starting up here, I kept talking about, um, an interview with Jill Bolte Taylor and trying to figure out where she fit into this, but that's where I wanted to talk about with the emotions when, when we get, she, one of the things she was talking about was when we get stuck with emotions, like the ones that we don't like, like whether it's anger or resentment or um, jealousy, whatever it is, she was saying biochemically, those emotions only stay for 90 seconds. So by the time we kind of make them, they sit there, they create a response, and then they break down and diffuse and go on 90 seconds. So she said, if you can literally stay with the sensation in the body for 90 seconds, that feeling will actually dissipate. The problem is that it usually because it keeps triggering the same storyline in the thinking that we just keep refueling it over and over and over again. So people can literally live in like a feeling of grief or resentment for decades because the storyline keeps them going. But she was saying, if we can actually stay for 90 seconds, she goes, that's the magic number, it will dissipate. So we have to do an exercise called a fear exercise where fear stands for feel it in your body, embrace the feeling, allow the thoughts to dissolve. And that's the first part for about 90 seconds to two minutes. And then once that dissolves, then the R is to remember the millions of other people going through something similar. So it sort of helps to build um, more like compassion and, and not sort of separation. But she was talking about that. And I thought that's really good exercise. Like, I mean, how, when was the last time you felt angry for only 90 seconds, right? Someone cuts you off and you can like lament on that the entire drive uh, to work. So just good practices. To me, if we can catch those things, those are going to give us a lot of emotional resilience because we don't even realize that we're doing this almost all the time. What stories are we replaying that's triggering this emotional feeling in our body that's just causing that cauldron to kind of bubble over, right? It's the exact kind of replica of, what, of meditation, right? So observe that thought, let that thought dissipate, and then the new thought will come in, same thing. So it it really is that it's hard to sit in it and just allow that to happen, right? Most people yeah. are thinking with that logical brain that they have to come up with some sort of solution and or how am I going to get back at that person because they pissed me off. And <laughs> so 
recognizing what that voice is uh, part of the the ego and and this this whole let's say identity around some sort of trauma that you've had in the past well that's that's what's going to keep you trapped in that exact emotion it right? is is yeah. just creating more stories to feed the same addiction to the same uh, sensation and that that process brings you right up into awareness i think a lot of times too of the so we want mind our sort of physical emotional mental to me that's kind of ties into the mental too it's like being aware of what is the thoughts that we're saying to ourselves on a regular basis um what have you guys found with that in, in regards i mean people mental chatter usually really supportive and helpful or is it often on the other side of that the mental chatter Yes, yeah. It's not often on the helpful side, that's for sure. Off the rails. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm going to loop back to emotional for just one sec. The one yeah, thing I'll usually, because I, mean, I just, I was kept waiting, patiently waiting. Please don't. I thought we just, said you just, were cut just off. Just as an adjunct on that is like, you know, for sure we're kind of lucky being osteopaths, how we have access to the fluidic body and the organs and we're able to, to feel and that kind of helps bring up things. But quite often, what I want to make sure I stress to my clients as well that are struggling that way is ask them what they're currently doing, obviously, to help that, right? To help the current emotional state they're in. And if they have any friends or family that lean on to, because um, they need that. And, you know, a lot of studies, actually, I read a study recently, I think it's just in a regular news podcast, saying that a lot of adults these days, like middle-aged adults, particularly males, um, report that they do not have, what they feel like they do not have enough friends, that they, they have a big void in their life that they weren't accustomed to, right? They had friends growing up, you know a normal upbringing that's called normal in quotations you know married kids whatever and then but they 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 feel this void where they don't have that in their life so I always think that's a big thing I try to bring up for someone that I'm treating that has some you know emotional challenges and just you know obviously it's a question I think we probably all ask right what are you doing what support do you use yes it comes from within we want to make sure we're building their own resilience but at times it's nice to get stuff off your chest too and I think it's a big part to make sure that they they know how important that can be for them. You know, staying in touch with friends and family. They, we, I think we talked about that in the ANS. Like, mm -hmm. I think you mentioned that last week, right? How when, you know, someone gets sick and then they start reaching out to their friends and family, they live the life they're actually supposed to live and wanted to live all those years, but weren't doing it, how it miraculously kind of goes away. They go into remission, if you will. It's the same thing to stay in touch with people. Right, it helps right. build like your own you know, whether you're aware of it or not, it's like it's building up your emotional resilience. You have a higher emotional intelligence, intelligence, if you will, right? So I think that's really important as well. It's like the the rat park experiments. Yeah. You know, so like the avoidance of addiction, it, yes, it's through crazy. it's through connection, right? So we we're built like that. We just need connection. That's why, like, what we just went through, obviously, was uh, um, a such, major test. such a such a huge impact on people's psyche and and well being because we crave that connection and that's what was kind of uh kiboshed you know yeah well yeah and, and not even just crave it but it's like it's i think it's actually an essential part to, um of health for for vast majority of people um some people i think can get away with it pretty well i know like my wife for the most part she she would be pretty happy i think to be kind of living on a mountain meditating all the time i think that's kind of that's yeah. that would be more her default are similar <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, for most people, they, they really do need that support network. And um, yeah, I mean, we're social animals for the most part. So yeah, definitely. If I was there, Jay, I'd give you a big hug right now. Thank so, you. you know, <laughs> you can feel it. Don't do it. Um, what was I going to say about mental? Oh, to mental. You, you, you kind of bridge this to yeah. mental as well. And you're yeah. asking about chatter. Oh, yeah. You know, an exercise we did a while back that um, I think is really, really helpful was to really be clear with why we actually do the things that we do. Because, you know, there's this mix between, I think, we lie to ourselves and also I think we just aren't aware of what we do. So we were doing this exercise for a while where we took a journal and literally we had it with us like every day with us, like a, a journal to write, not, not actually typing, but writing with a pen. And... Um, Whenever we would do anything, we would write down and question why we did it. So I pick up the phone and I text someone. And it's like, okay, let's stop. Why did I text that person? And maybe my first answer, my first few answers are usually just more like rote kind of justification. So it might be like, I just want to see how they were doing. And I'm like, okay, well, 
ask myself again, I'm writing all this down and I'm like, did I really want to see how they were doing? It's like, not really. <laughs> okay. So then why did I actually text them? And they you kind of, yeah, you kind of go through this process where you, you gradually kind of strip away the layers to get to the, really the core of what's going on. And I, I think like what I find a lot, both in, in myself, a lot less now since doing a lot of these types of practices, but I think it's there. It's almost like this, this restless energy that we're just sort of staying a step ahead of. And, and so, you know, you ask yourself, that's a big one, like say texting, or why did I check social media? Well, I just wanted to see if someone did that. Why did I want to see if someone did that? And you, you keep asking until you get to the heart of it. And a lot of times at the bottom of it, it's like, either like I was trying to, I didn't like the feeling that was coming up, like the, the anxiousness feeling that I was trying to sort of do something to dissipate, or I was feeling alone or whatever it might be. You, you know, when you strip it down far enough and you get to like the absolute core of why we do certain things, I really think that puts you in a totally different position to start to make big changes in your life because now you can address it from the fundamental truth. It's, it's like if you ever get in like an argument with your partner and people get into these nitpicky kind of things and you're like you're never talking about what's really going on and it's like if you can kind of get down to the heart of it and like okay let's deal with this rather than all this bs kind of extraneous stuff now we can really work on on what's at what's at heart there and make some real significant change so that exercise is like a really profound exercise and um yeah like take a journal and literally question everything as to why you're doing anything and and keep asking yourself until you really feel like you've gotten to the heart of it and often you have to ask yourself that question like five or six times until you really get um a proper answer so that, that was a big one for me is just yeah. being really clear and questioning yourself over and over and over again and most of the time you find you come to the same sorts of things. I'd say at the heart of a lot of it, it's like people feel alone. They feel anxious. They feel abandoned. They don't feel loved. They don't feel heard. Um, a lot of these are fundamental ones. And, um, you know, when you do these exercises, you kind of realize they're, they're actually a lot more commonplace for everybody than you'd think they are. Yeah. Yeah. I like the journal part. That's something that, uh, that I'll suggest a lot just in, not necessarily in that format. That's like, I like that being more specific like that. That's great. But more, most of it is that is just to get more of an inventory on what, what kind of their mental process is on a regular basis, you know, and so that they start noticing like, Oh yeah, okay. I maybe feel like this a little bit more than I thought I did, <laughs> you know? So it's a great way to kind of get a gauge on where you're at. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So yeah. You can get stuff rolling. Jay, anything else you want to add to that? I don't want you to be left out. Mm. um no i just i mean i try to add on to people that um the importance of just having a positive mindset and that what you're carrying around and what you're thinking all the time during these time periods during the day is actually you know reflected out and you're giving that out to the universe and when you keep giving off that energy then you're going to get back what you keep putting out so i try to just make them understand or help people understand that that you know, even if you're not saying it, it's what you're saying is how you feel and how you think has a has a profound effect on on the life you're going to live. So, you know, we've mentioned that many years ago when people come in saying, "Well, I'm not feeling well," or "My back's sore," but I, I never. It's it's always going to be like this. It's always going to be like this. And so we now have learned over the years, and yeah, you're right. You're always going to have back. <laughs> and they're like, "What? Why would you say that?" And I'm like, "Well, because every time you walk in my office, you tell me that your back's always sore, and it's always going to be." And so you have to like make and Kevin had told me this many years ago, and he was the first one. So I'll give him some credit. But that's and I use it, you know, hopefully not too often. But I definitely do use that now, saying, you know, how long have you had back pain again? Well, it's been four months. And how old are you? I'm you know, 46. I said, So you had 45 and a half years of no Super back pain. So now you're destined to have lower back pain for the rest of your life. Like, I don't buy into that. That's craziness. And like, oh my gosh, like I never thought of that way. I never thought of that. And I said, you know, and I try to. I can obviously we can never guarantee in our profession, right? But I try to say, listen, if there's no red flags, this is what's going on. You've never had a big injury before, but you have to understand, yes, we're going to treat it physically, but you know, the mental component is so big on that. And that's where I think people are open to all that stuff now, way more now than they were 20 years ago, let's say. But that's I think a big part of our profession is helping them understand that most people think they're coming in for a physical issue but hopefully leave knowing that it's a full body issue 
Yeah, exactly. Full body issue for sure. Yeah, that's um, that's such a big one because I I really feel like if anything that's blocking, which a lot of times means you have to then start to readjust, readdress <laughs> your belief systems on all of it, because at the heart of it, that's kind of what locks you into a certain box. So if someone really does believe like, oh, my grandpa had um, back pain and my dad had back pain and I've got back pain or, you know, they had diabetes and they had diabetes and now I'm going to get diabetes. Well, what happens is you are, you're, you're setting the stage up for it. And what a lot of times you don't, it's not like this magical thing, but it's like, you're also rewiring certain neural networks. When you have certain feelings, you're creating different biochemistry in your body, different neurochemistry that's flushing through your body. You're changing all of these physiological parameters just by how you are constantly thinking and feeling on a regular basis. So when that stuff gets adjusted, it is going to affect your physical. Absolutely will. So yeah. And then outside of that, I think just when I think about that from more of like a like a like a quantum physics perspective it's like you're limiting yourself into a small field of potential realities it's like you need to have a larger field where you can tap into potential realities that do not exist when you are functioning in a certain world you know if you're functioning in a small field that is like you know self pity for example you're going to have a very small toolbox and a very small limited possibilities that you're going to tap into if you expand into something much larger like you know, courage, right? Or neutrality, even all of a sudden you've expanded into something now where you've got a whole lot of different options available to you because you've just opened that space up to land on something different. So it's the only way that really, I think significant change happens is we have to keep building and expanding on that box so we can bring something else in. Otherwise we are just going to keep bumping up against the same stuff over and over again. I, I love what you're saying because it, it really is all about limitations and the, the, the creation of limitations in the mind, like the, which again, like it's all from our, our belief systems and what have, what we've seen, what we've experienced, uh, you know, creates this world of limitation that we, we live in that dictates, you know, how much capacity you're going to have. So the, the breaking those down and allowing yourself to have that, um, uh, uh, capacity to see that there's much more and, we're capable of much more, not just these five senses that we have, uh, that we're much bigger than that, and that we have this capacity to heal ourselves. That's what we're trying to do is make people um, aware of how much potential we have that the, we aren't as limited as we think. So this is the true uh, capacity to healing because without that, it's like we're always coming on these stumbling blocks that are going to slow the process down. And it's, if we can take responsibility for our health and uh, take away some of these limitations that we've just learned, that's all they are. They've we've just identified with them, and we just think they're true, which they could be, or they or they're not. <laughs> it's you. You're the one that's choosing that that paradigm, right? So just like uh, it made me think of Dr. Lipton's uh, Biology of yeah. Belief, you know. So like that's a great book on on talking about the potential of. Um, the environment and the the setting for uh chemical change in the body and um and on a metaphysical level as well so that you know the potential is so great if we just want people to see that i also try to like later on when when you know when someone's in my office and they're doing well <clears throat> i like to kind of kind of challenge some more and what we're talking about like building resilience well how do you get more mentally resilient how do you get more physically resilient so I like to bring up the concept that I, I tell them that you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. So mm -hmm. we use those things like, you know, um, you know, Anthony Robbins or anyone, they dunking themselves in that, in their, in their cold water baths or, you know, all the David, like David Goggins and this, the mental stuff he does. Right. And, and, and I try to say like, that's the kind of stuff you need. You can start with a cold shower, right. At the end of your shower, turn it down to cold water for 60 seconds to build it up. Because and you mentioned this too before as well, like sometimes you can get them back to a certain point, but if, as soon as something goes rough again, they they bounce back because they, they haven't really built the resilience to that yet. So they have to like you got to get comfortable pushing your your body. And once your the pain and inflammation part's gone, if that's why you're, they're seeing you, it's then to build it. How do you build it up and get it stronger? Or like you'd said, Jay, that that diagram, that buffer. The bigger we can make that buffer, the better. So the more you can expose yourself and to challenge yourself, the more you're going to be able to withstand these various external internal forces that come right like i you know i run for exercise 
right? I'll pause for Kevin's comments. More like speed but, walking. Well, I'm just saying Magdus, his wife, said he does not have a yeah. runner's body. One she did say that. <laughs> if you can imagine. Yeah, if you can imagine. <laughs> and and it's funny though, because in my head, you know, I'm you know, I'm running too, and you know, I'll call it like shuffling, like a, yeah. a, a, a shuffle. moderate pace shuffle, right? But so, speed walk. I will be in my head saying, like, you know, I'm trying to do whatever. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to get to 10K or I'm trying to get to whatever speed or whatever rate. And in my head, I'm like, you know, I have there's a lot of mental chatter, right? A lot of <laughs> mental chatter. And you know, the the but when I, I actually start, I, I'm in my head, I'm saying, Are you kidding me? Get comfortable being comfortable. And I'm I literally like, I'm like, don't be a little, you know, and I and I and I push through. But what I'm trying to get to at the end of that is once that's done and you've accomplished that. That's the feeling, right? That's like, I did it. I can do it again. And that's what you've been trying to help people with. Like, you got to get comfortable with like that push when your body's ready for it. Because they could the anti-aging thing you said about it. It's not that it's anti-aging in that respect, but you've got to challenge your body. And if you don't challenge it and keep pushing, then it's a downhill slope. And you know, I try to help my clients. I say the same thing. Like, as we age and age and age, like, I don't want to be coming down the other side. And I'm going to prolong that as much as we can. And establishing these buffers and building this resilience is the best tools we have to do so. Yeah, some of that, some of that is like the 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 main common denominator there is that we we basically as humans hate pain and suffering. Yeah, we try to avoid pain and we try to seek pleasure. Uh, it is unbelievable how we will avoid that to to you know survive. Basically, we we know it's like a primal instinct to to not die. But um, it is the one thing that holds us back and creates all these limitations because we we just won't face those things. Like you said before, I love that the the fear acronym because that's like uh, facing it like that is is the only solution to get through it and have it dissolve. And the fact that we hold on to these things is what houses stuff in the body that creates the resistance to us being able to connect to that natural healing capacity. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Um, I think all of that's really important stuff. That's all tied in with spiritual stuff too. I think um, to me, the when I think about sort of the the spiritual practice around stuff, I mean, to me, it's like an outlook. It's like, are you incorporating those aspects into your life? Because I really feel like the more that we incorporate whatever that is to us, whatever spiritual means to us, whether that's you know time in church or whether that's time in nature, whether that's meditating. Um, I think ultimately it's finding that that quiet within ourselves because I, I feel like it's during that quiet that's like a still point you know that's like that's like where your body reorganizes everything I, I think there's so much healing that just happens from literally nothing happening right nothing happening for a period of time is probably one of the most no different than like fasting you know it's like when people would be really sick a lot of times the main treatment they would do at that point would be fasting don't eat anything and you can have like some pretty spontaneous healing that would develop it's sort of this we we live in a society where i think nothing is really um demonized as a really bad thing and at some points we need to actually become really comfortable with nothing going on for a period of time so whether that's it's, sitting in nature or quiet um, prayer or meditation or just stillness, you know, whatever it is, but that's where we tap into, from my perspective, that's where we actually really tap into that um, natural ability to heal. It's so true what you're saying. It makes me think of like uh, listening to something uh, Ram Dass giving uh, uh, a lecture at one point talking about, you know, just enlightenment and all the experience with the yogis that he did and all that stuff. And, and it always starts with what? Diet and diet in, in term, uh, not so much. It was fasting basically, right? Mm -hmm. So it was like exactly what you're saying. Then, then the simplicity of living, not, not doing anything really. It's just the observation of, uh, and the detachment from all these things, right? So it's, it, in it essence, is, it's a lot more simple than we think. It's just yeah. it's so difficult because it, how could it be that basic, yeah. right? Well, and we're so bought in that it it we have to put in a lot of work to yeah. make something happen. And and I, I really do think, I mean, it doesn't mean that you don't do something, but this, this is where I really think it's like, it's in the stillness where you get the insights and the, and the your personal instructions that kind of surface that then guide you much more specifically on the action that you want to do. And then you're kind of more inspired to do it rather than trying to make something happen. So, mm -hmm. you know, I remember talking to Dr. Amit Goswami, who was 
uh, he's a quantum physicist and he's he was the he was one of the one of the main physicist that was in that movie what the bleep do we know way back when um yeah. it was really pretty cool movie if you haven't seen it as far as just kind of talking about even what we're talking about with um how this stuff all works and breaking out of your box around stuff and um he was talking about he would say the practice is dooby 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 do that's what he would say it's like you've got to do then you have to be and then you have to do and then you have to be so he's like you know you're in the world doing stuff but then you have to be slow everything down, find that stillness, be in that place of beingness, where then you get the divine insights to then direct you for the next doingness, right? And so he said, some cultures are very do. He goes, North America is a very do culture. We don't have a lot of be. We're just like do, 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 do. And he goes, and then other cultures are too much be. He said, like, you know, where he comes from, he said, like India. He goes, it's just hot and nobody wants to do anything. And, and um, so you kind of sit there, but then you don't get as much done. So it's like, you really have to have this back hmm. and forth balance. So um, I, you know, I think about that as well as how do you, how do you balance that out? And if you really like go, 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 go all the time, you're not going to, tap into any of that stillness that I think is what really allows us to connect to what is most important for us. When, when you slow that down, you will get insights, you'll see synchronicities, different things like that open up to you that I think actually guide you in the direction that you are probably supposed to be moving in. That's when we hear the messages from the body too. It's that equanimity, right? Bringing, mm -hmm. bringing that being, that calmness into the chaos of doing, right? Yeah. That's the challenge. It's always it because because even even uh, as like personal experience of like going and doing retreats and doing uh, ayahuasca and things like that, where you, you know, you can have these experiences of connectivity and connection uh, where you 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 sense the connection of, of everything, the oneness, the non separateness of everything. And then you come back into into this and and then you you slowly start to feel it dissipating. <laughs> Uh, so how do you bring that idea into everyday living, right? And yeah, I guess like using every opportunity you have as to practice that um, is. Yeah. Is and sometimes it's just like carving out the time to get some yes. kind of, you know, to, I think it's also reprioritizing, you know, we, if, if we want to, then we have to kind of restructure stuff a little bit in our life. And that's, I think where, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's the hard part is what part of your life are you going to start to make some adjustments with so that that becomes more of a priority? Yeah. Um, no different than anything. You know, it's just really reprioritizing and then figuring out how you're going to do it. And um, ultimately, I think when we arrive at a place where it is important, then we do make the change and, and then we do implement it into our life. Otherwise, I think we're kind of on that cusp of kind of knowing it's important, but we're not quite at the place where we're ready to put it into action yet. So. Yeah. But hopefully hearing stuff like this um, inspires people to want to try stuff like that and, and change it up a little bit and see how it works. Hopefully. That's what we do, right? That's what we're, I think that's one of the great parts of our job is to, to just open people up to, to different possibilities and, you know, understanding how they're living and, and where can we help and, 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 um, and intervene and, and help them find that balance, right? Because unfortunately, that's the most, the majority of people coming in are not balanced, right? They're, they are, we are the do, do, do. And, uh, and it has to be me time. You know, we talk about that all the time with, I talk about that all the time. I find like, you know, mothers are probably the worst, right? Because they put themselves last. They're, their kids, their husband, their work, everything's in front of them. But then the time they take out to do these things, they are not doing it. And then they burn out and they come to see us. So I think that's, that's massive. And there's, like you said, spiritual, I don't even get into that stuff as much. It's just, you know, believe, not believe. It's whatever you want to do. It's it's more carving up that time to self-reflect um, and, and be with yourself and, and figure out and listen and 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 then, you know, help them. Help them, you know, we have a book in our office, you know, understanding the hidden mess messages of your body. Like you mm -hmm. said, the whole lung radiant, like sharing that stuff with people. People are always fascinated to learn about their body, right? That, that'll never change. And, and the more you can open them up and empower them to, listen and to feel and to understand and, and what they can do at home to, to do it on their own because so many people are always out searching oh, I'm going to do this next thing or I need to do this and I knew that and that's fine and you can get the guidance from that with the understanding that it comes from within and I think that's if you can kind of paint that picture for them or help them paint that picture that's where you'll see that big change right the mm -hmm. the less volatility the steady state the homeostasis that people are kind of looking for yeah, absolutely. 
All right. Any, uh, let's do final actionables. So as far as giving people something practical to do, um, my actionable would be start tracking things. Get a get an inventory on where you actually are. You can take a picture of the charts that we just put up there on the screen for the diet diary and the uh, determinants of health one. Print those off and track for a couple of weeks. Just see what happens and pay attention to where you are. And, um, and then from that, reflect on it and see if there's any change that you need to make. But sometimes just the first part of just becoming aware of where you are now helps you make the next steps. So that would be mine is take those tracking forms and start tracking and paying attention to what's going on in your body. Yeah, I like that one. That's a, that's a great one. Uh, taking you got you got to pick a new one. You got to pick a different I know, one. I know. I can't copy mine. So I'm going to go with body scanning. Body scanning. So that could be to take take time to, uh, which could serve double purpose too, if you take the time to lie down and just do a bit of uh, conscious breathing just through the abdomen and just make notice of where there are tensions in your body and, and allow yourself to, to see perhaps uh, what quite often will happen is you something will come up as well attached to that tension. So just start to explore with that a little bit, just to see, to get a little bit more in touch with the body. Um, that way, when things do pop up, it just makes it a lot easier to navigate through all that uh, uh, potential tension that uh, <laughs> we experience. Yeah, that's a great one. I like that one too. Yeah, it's a beat. It's a beat. Yeah. I, I'm going to go with the uh, uh, carving out time. Let's say carving out, uh, starting with like 20 minutes a day from your schedule. Um you know, do a self-reflection on what you're doing right now for your physical body, your mental body, uh, emotional, spiritual, look at the four categories and then, and then just sit with it for a bit. See maybe where you think you're a bit deficient and, and then, you know, carve out certain parts of your day, make it part of your routine where you're going to start to implement strategies to help to build those areas up and, and, and develop strategies and carve out the time to do so. Cause if you don't put it into your schedule, it won't happen. So taking time out of your hectic schedule putting time into you and spending time on, on, on building yourself because you can only be as good to others as you are to yourself. Well said. I think that's it. There you guys go. Building resilience in a changing world. Those are the steps. So write us in, let us know how that goes. And if this is helpful for you, then please share it with other people if you think that they would benefit from it as well. And uh, hit subscribe, hit like. We'll keep trying to put out as much um, content and give us ideas if there's things that you want to know more about. Write us in and um, and let us know what topics you would like to cover more. And we'll probably set up some live ones too where we'll actually field questions. So if you've got specific questions, send them in and then we'll do some episodes where we'll just field your questions and try and get as many answers as we can for them. Awesome. Beautiful. All right, guys. Until next time. Take care.